Welcome to School Psych Podcast. We're here tonight. I'm hoping that everybody is maybe on summer break or close to summer break and is starting to settle in a little bit. Um, those of us that are 12-month employees, uh, just kind of hanging out a little bit, simmering down, taking a, a deep breath here. <laughs> but um, tonight we're going to be talking about evidence-based interventions in practice. We have an awesome guest who is going to um, walk us through that. Um, but first off, my name is Rachel, and I'm a school psychologist uh, working in the state of Maryland. Rebecca? Hello, I'm Rebecca. I'm a school psychologist working in the state of Connecticut. I want to share with you guys how to participate tonight. We'd love to hear your comments, ideas, questions, and thoughts. You can um, add comments to the Facebook page, School Psych Podcast page. Just comment right under the top post or send me a message on that page or on School Psych to Your School Psychologist, also on Facebook, or on Twitter using the hashtag Psyched Podcast, which you should see under my picture right here. And now here is our maternity leave sub, Eric. Hi, I'm Eric, and I'm a school psychologist in Connecticut as well. And I am subbing for Anna, who's on maternity leave. And with us this evening is Dr. T. Chris Riley Tillman, PhD. And currently, Dr. Riley Tillman is a professor at the University of Missouri in Columbia. He also serves as the department chair of the Department of Education, School, and Counseling Psychology. Dr. Riley Tillman is one of the co-developers of direct behavior ratings, as well as a recognized authority in evidence-based practice in schools and the application of experimental design and analysis in applied educational settings. Uh, related to these interests, Dr. Riley Tillman has participated in leadership roles on several federal grants, totaling over $13 million in funding. Dr. Riley Tillman is a creator and lead developer of Evidence-Based Intervention Network, a nonprofit website which contains evidence-based interventions and assessment resources for educational professionals developed by researchers. In 2015, the EBI network had over 335,000 page views by over 45,000 unique users. He's published 75 journal articles and five books on social behavioral assessment, school-wide service delivery, and single case design. In addition, he's the acting editor of the Practical Intervention uh, Interventions in, school in Schools book series for Guilford Press. And finally, he is a fellow of Division 16 of the American Psychological Association and a member of the Society of the Study of School Psychology. So having Dr. Riley Tillman is uh, timely, I think, um, given that a lot of folks that I talk with uh, are interested in uh, evidence-based information, evidence-based um, supports for uh, behavior interventions especially. So um, Dr. Riley Tillman, take it away. Welcome. Hi. <laughs> Hi. You might be freezing a little bit. Yeah, I think so. Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh, it's such a letdown after that awesome introduction. Is that my computer? It is, Chris. I, you're frozen. So if you don't unfreeze, you might have to leave and come back. Yeah. That's our connection isn't too great. Let's send him a message over here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Maybe he popped out and he'll come right back. Yeah. We know he's here. <laughs> okay, wait, I'm seeing some movement. 
you hear us? You're back. There we are. Can you hear us, Chris? I can, yes. I'm sorry. Wonderful. Okay, here All right. we You're back. <laughs> You're back. So we did. We were able to share a lot of really interesting and, and impressive information about you. Is there anything that you can tell us about yourself? You've had such a long uh, and varied career. How did you become interested in being a school psychologist? I, um, I, that's a pretty good question. <laughs> I, uh, I have, honestly, I applied to a lot of different grad programs, and that was the one I got into, and uh, it seemed like it would be a fun time, and, and, <laughs> and, and you know, I, I wish I could say there was some, um, uh, you know, I, as a child really wanted to be a school psychologist, but of course as a child I had no idea what a school psychologist was. <laughs> so um, it, it, it just ended up working out like that, I guess. Cool. I like it. Yeah. So, yeah, do you want to, um, I don't know if you want to screen share, if you want to work, walk us through the EBI network, or if you want to just take questions from us, but we're, we're, we're on the edge of our seats after hearing um, all your credentials. <laughs> Why don't you start with a few questions and then we'll go from there and, and I can sh share from those questions. Okay. Sure. I, I'm curious about direct behavior ratings. I have, have explored the website a little bit, I think through UConn, am I right? The UConn website about um, the yes. direct behavior ratings. Can you tell us a little bit about that, how it, how it was developed and, and who, who it's a resource for or how people can use it? Sure, sure. So that was something which which Sandy Shafulius and I started developing in, and I don't want to say 2003 or 2002. And at the time, we had we had uh, come out of graduate programs in the mid 90s and had worked in the schools for a bit of time. And one of the things that became really apparent is is that essentially there was no data being collected on kids uh, with social behavior issues. And so, it, you know, on the, on the academic side, we had things like curriculum-based measurement, uh, which was starting to take a foothold, and, and you started to see more and more people tracking interventions with things like CBM. But on the, on the behavior side, there just really wasn't anything that was, was being used and, and, and was, was in place. And when I, when I was in grad school, I, I, I had been trained in direct observation and systematic direct observation. And uh, we, um, you know, I really assumed that a lot of people would be, be using it in the schools and quickly realized when I was out in the schools myself, there's just not enough time. I mean, you, you know, if you want to collect five or six data points at 15, 20 minutes a pop, the idea for direct behavior ratings was Sandy's. Um, it was, I, I like to joke that most of the things that have made my career were things that I thought initially were really bad ideas. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm luckily smart enough to uh, oh, I'm losing him. Are you guys losing him? Yeah. He had a young daughter. Can you guys hear me or am I breaking up again? Or He broke up a little bit. The last thing I heard, which was so comforting, is that initially you thought that it was a bad idea, the direct behavior <laughs> I have a lot of those. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't think it. Would. So the basic idea was you, you have uh, 
homeschool notes um, with kids in classes all the time. And, you know, the, they're the little unhappy face, neutral face, smile face deals. Mm -hmm. And what Sandy's idea was, you know, could could those ones was there a way to convert those over into to actual behavior ratings? And I usually Okay. I think we're having some technical difficulties. You're just kind of coming up a little bit garbled. Um, so I'm thinking maybe if you try and leave the Hangout and then come back. That's that's our a masterful fix for technology problems. <laughs> I yeah. like starting your computer. Right. <laughs> Unplugging and plugging it back in. <laughs> and right. in, in the meantime, for, right. for our viewers and listeners out there, okay, okay. right back. I posted a link to um, direct behavior ratings uh, from UConn.edu on um, on both Facebook pages and on Twitter. So check it out. It, it it looks really, really cool, and it's all free, which I love. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I, I mean, I've looked it over, too, and it's amazing. I, I feel like how much I haven't heard about it. It's not a common website, I think, that a lot of people are familiar with, but there's yeah. so much good stuff on there. Um, I, I feel like every school psych is aware of Intervention Central and, and the mm -hmm. wealth of information is there, but not really many are familiar with EBI, and so... You know, if you're watching right now and haven't heard of it, go check it out for sure because it's like, wow. Yeah. All right. Is this doing a little bit better? Yes. Yes. That is better. Great. Well, so I, I've switched off of my super fast home Wi-Fi onto my phone, uh. which uh. which is sad, right? That's your fast high, you know, your 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 stuff at home works perfect. All right. The the nuts and it's still, it's still breaking up. I kind of wonder if Chris, if you put in headphones, if that direct connection would help for some reason. Because sometimes we can hear you. But yeah, now, his video is breaking up too. I mean, it might just be his internet connection. That's what it seems like. But hmm. in the meantime. I'm going to post EBI also. I posted um, direct behavior ratings, and I'm going to post the EBI network for people to check out. Today I was watching an awesome video on a behavioral intervention, um, and the video was so great because first they somebody explained sort of the premise and the theory of, of the intervention, the behavioral intervention, and then afterward it was like you were in the room with a teacher in a small group and it was um, a child who was calling out in the small group and it was just so nicely done and um, the student was asked to sit in a, in a viewing chair apart from the group because he kept calling out but that, that he could come back as soon as he um, was ready and it was not punitive and it was, it was awesome. It was a great video example of, of what um, a school psychologist could help a teacher uh, create or could do herself or himself in a small group. I'm going to post that on, on all of our pages, too. Oh, that's great. Um, and, okay, so anybody watching, because I do see we have a couple viewers. Um, yay, thank you for yeah. hanging out with us um, and sticking in there. Um, if you guys can comment and let us know um, how 
if you were able to see him or hear him, or maybe if it's just us that are having difficulty. Um, oh, he might be back. Maybe, for a minute. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> All right, you seem, to, you seem to be good from where I'm standing. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> Love this technology. This <laughs> sorry. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm sorry that that kind of disrupted our flow a little bit. That's um, okay. But... I don't even remember if you if you know where you left off. No, I have no idea. Well, I, I, I know when I stopped talking, but I don't know when you stopped hearing me. Um, okay, so uh, the, the last thing I did was I posted EBI network as well on all of our um, pages. And I so we have so many questions about EBI as well. We were just talking about direct behavior ratings. Can you tell us a little bit? So the direct behavior ratings is something that you you worked on prior to EBI, is that right? Oh, really concurrently. I mean, okay. I, I've, we've been working on, on DBR for the past, um, oh gosh, uh, uh, 13, well, 15, you know, 13 years or so. Um, uh, and, and the EBI network work, we started in 2007, so uh, really about the same time. And it's, it's really the same idea you know, the, the, the whole point of direct behavior rating was to get a lot of cheap and simple data to track interventions. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if you've got a kid that you're doing check-in, check-out with, you got to see if it works or not, um, you need data. And you, you can't go do direct observation, in, you know, for most kids. And you can't because you don't have enough time. You also can't because teachers don't. I don't like you in the room constantly, uh, you know, collecting data on the kids um, and the kids' behavior. And so, you know, it's it's all that put together is just it's not a great scenario to collect a ton of data. If you've got a really low incidence kid who's mm -hmm. hurting himself or or something like that, that then, then obviously we should be doing direct observation. But what we do with direct behavior ratings is we have teachers do ratings of the kids. Um, there are ways to do that. The, the DBR website has specific forms to use. Um, there are behaviors which teachers can rate accurately. There are behaviors which teachers can't. Um, but with academic engagement, disruptive behavior, respect behavior, uh, we can get uh, solid psychometric data on those uh, those instruments. And and so what that allows is is for a tool where you can collect literally hundreds of data points on a kid. And, and nobody ever enters the room. I mean, the teacher literally does it in, in, in you know, maybe a minute a day or a minute every rating. Um, so it starts to become much like curriculum-based measurement is for reading or mathematics fluency. It becomes that for a, a general outcome measure for social behavior. Um, uh, so that, that's the point of DBR. And, um, yeah. That's a great concept. It's just you know, all, all the reasons why we can't uh, always be in a room um, or track every single kid on our caseload or that teachers are interested in us, uh, you know, taking a look at. That's fantastic. Well, all these, I mean, all of these models that we keep coming up with, um, I mean, really all of the evidence-based practice models um, assume there's a lot of data. Uh, I mean, they, they all assume that they're, they're um, you know, you're going to have your interventions and you're going to have your systems, you're going to have all that kind of stuff, but there's going to be a lot of data to see if something works, you know, well or not. Um, when it comes to oral reading fluency, there's a lot of options. I mean, you can use AIMS Web, you can use different CBM sources and stuff like that, um, but, but 
Oral reading fluency is not the only problem children have in schools. I mean, it'd be nice if that was the only problem. Right. Uh, sometimes comprehension is a problem, and sometimes math's a problem, or writing's a problem, or, or obviously behavior. And um, there was there was a point in the early 2000s which we used to joke a lot that we've got to we we have to stop talking about just CBM reading for every single example of RTI or every single example of evidence-based uh, interventions. Um, and I think DBR is a nod to that. Um, but frankly, we, we need more assessments for mathematics. We need more assessments for writing. Um, I have a colleague at the University of Missouri, Erica Lemke, who's doing work on writing um, and, you know, short, brief, um, psychometrically strong uh, measures for writing. But, um, you know, pragmatically, we're going to need a lot of data, and, and there's just not a lot of time to, to to collect this, so it's going to have to be stuff that you can do in schools. Very cool. Um, I don't mean to jinx us because we're doing so well with the technology right now, but I would like to, are you able to do some screen sharing to show us a little bit of, of you know, what the website looks like and what, what we're clicking on and what you're talking about specifically? Sure, sure. Let me, let me switch over. Okay. Fingers crossed. Yeah. <laughs> It looks frozen to me. Okay. <laughs> All right. So I think I'm going to get it to load here. Okay. All right. So this is the EBI network. Do you guys see that now? Not yet. We have a little mm -hmm. lag, but it may come. I saw something briefly. There it is. There it is. Yay. Okay. All right, so so this is something we came up with, and in, in, we started to work on this in, in 2007. And if anybody who is who is working as a school psychologist in the early 2000s uh, will remember, um, that was when No Child Left Behind, some of the initial stipulations of it came down. And so there were there was lots and lots of talk in that time period about um, annual yearly progress and accountability mm -hmm. and uh, there was a lot of stuff on highly qualified teachers, uh, so we, we did a lot more professional development. And a lot of states moved to everybody has to have a master's or you have to, I don't know, 180 hours or whatever the, 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 the different uh, things were. But one of the things that was stuffed into the back of No Child Left Behind was that, that any kid who ever um, has a problem or might ever have a problem, which is technically every kid, right, um, I mean, if, if you play soccer and you run into a goalpost, you have a closed head injury for a year and you're going to have a 504. So I mean, anybody could, could, could need special services. All of those kids had to have an evidence-based intervention, or you had to do evidence-based interventions with everybody. And, uh, at that time, I was in the state of North Carolina, and, and what, what happened in North Carolina was that the, um, was that the, uh, um, um, the state sent down a letter to every district which passed along to every teacher and said, you're now legally obliged to be using evidence interventions with all. And and the teachers we were working with freaked out. They, 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 they didn't know what they were talking about. And, and, I mean, they didn't know what the state was talking about. They had never really heard about the, you know what, what an evidence-based intervention is. And, you know, that's become such kind of a common phrase that we use now. But if you go back in time and remember back in the 90s and the early 2000s, there was really no, there was just no discussion about evidence-based interventions or evidence-based practice in school journals. We had a lot of time on consultation or stuff like that, but we, we didn't talk about the specific term. And so 
what what we decided to do at at I was at East Carolina University at the time was to try to develop an in-house manual, and all the manual would have is is a list of about twenty interventions that evidence and, and I'll explain by evidence based uh, my own definition of it, um, and. Um, that manual ended up getting picked up by a number of states and, and started to be used more and more. Um, the the um, at some point transferred it over to a website and, and, and this is the website that we have. Um, I had to laugh a little bit I, when I was when I was clicking in and out. I, somebody had said something about um, people go to Intervention Central a lot, but but might not have seen this site. Um, ironically, Jim was one of my supervisors on Intervention. Um, so, uh, right, kind of a small world, and and if, if you look through this, I, I think we actually credit Jim. I, you know, Jim had one kind of one of the original ideas for trying to bring um, scientific-based practice into a consumable format. Um, what I like to think this website is 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 it, it's similar to to Intervention Central, um, except instead of uh, what we try to do here is more thorough reviews of specific interventions. And so I, I think it's it's a little less accessible than, than Intervention Central. Intervention Central, you can really give the audience, they can find great stuff on it. What we're going to do on Interventions here is really dive through the technical details of how you use interventions and why intervention has an evidence base. And we also force the users to think about the function of the intervention, which Intervention Central has not historically done. But it's very similar in, in, in format. It's in the way we think about it. In they should be used in, in a relatively similar way, and so, uh, so this is what the website looks like now. Um, this is kind of a fun way to present it. I'm usually doing powerpoints which have old uh, screenshots of it that aren't what it is anymore, and so I, I this at least an updated version. And if you look along the right, I can kind of cut to the, the chase here. There's, there's a couple of things that are, are useful here. Um, you know, if you look on the how to select an evidence-based intervention page. What this does is it gives you the idea of what, what we see evidence-based interventions are and how we think people should select them. Um, we do break them apart into reading, math, behavior. Um, we do have most of these reading and math can be made into general academic um, in a number of ways. Um, but essentially, um, it's, it's, um, yeah, we break them into those subject areas. But if you go into any one of those subject areas, what you'll find is that is that instead of just giving you a list of interventions, we try to link to the function of the intervention. And so nuts and bolts, interventions are either trying to teach a kid a behavior that they don't know, they're trying to get a kid to be more accurate, they're trying to get a kid to be faster, uh, uh, and so it becomes a more automatic behavior. Uh, they're trying to get the kid to use the behavior they've learned in a new way. So if you increase reading fluency, at some point you have to transfer to reading comprehension. Uh, that's a generalization strategy, uh, or it's a behavior problem. We, we call them motivation because teachers want to call them motivation problems, but pragmatically that becomes a behavioral intervention. On the social behavior side, it's a similar framework. Um, you either are acquiring a skill, right? you're learning the social behavior, you're becoming more proficient with it um, in terms of a reinforcement based um, or some sort of attention seeking, um, or get something. It doesn't really have to be attention. Um, some kids are trying to escape um, situations, and so they misbehave to get out of a, a situation, a negative reinforcement paradigm, but we often call it escape in schools. Mm -hmm. Generalization, same concept, built for something else or class bond. 
And if you click on any of these, you'll find it goes to a series of interventions. Um, and I'll pop open one of them, like um, non-contingent reinforcement. It'll give a, a brief overview of what non-contingent reinforcement is, and then it'll give you a brief. It'll, I'm wondering if this screenshot will move over. Let me see. Oh, good, it does. All right. And so it gives you a, a – we try to keep them down to a couple of pages um, on what the interventions are. And so uh, this gives you non-contingent reinforcement as an intervention. This is one, an intervention that people very rarely talk about in schools. Um, if you think of something like check-in, check-out, mm -hmm. uh, check-in, check-out is a response-based intervention. Um, you, you essentially are forcing the kid to behave before they get something, before they get the teacher attention. Um, what non-contingent reinforcement does is it gives the kid what they want prior to, well, anything. Uh, and as a result, it, 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 it tries to mitigate the problem before it ever happens. Mm -hmm. um, it ends up being um, non-contingent reinforcement um, initially was validated on very low incidence kids. Um, and uh, can be, it really affected almost everybody. Um, but this gives it kind of a question, what non-contingent reinforcement do, um, a brief description of it, uh, of, of what it looks like, uh, what the procedures are for it. Um, how you do the different steps of reinforcement. The second week on this is something that we call critical components. Um, and, and that's going to have things like on reading interventions, the reading materials have to be at the kids' instructional level. Uh, they can't be too hard. Um, for reinforcement-based interventions, the reinforcer actually has to be reinforcing, right? So if, if you got a kid with peanut allergies, Giving them M&Ms with peanuts in it, it's probably not going to be reinforcing. It's not going to be all that effective. So, so these are the things that that we 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 try to highlight. If you mess these up, the intervention is not going to work. Uh, so you, you you've got to keep these in place. Um, we give references and, and some other stuff like that. Um, we've got a lot of other materials on the site, but really the whole point of, of this site is just to be a collection of about 40 or 50. Oh, we're probably well about that now. Uh, interventions um, so that when people have kids who are having academic problems or social behavior problems, they've got a lot of different options to recycle through. Um, and that, that brings me to kind of one last point I want to make about this, switching over um, or going back to some questions. Um, we've got a, an overview here on what are evidence-based interventions, and, and this is a pretty important part of the site um, in that, at least in my viewpoints, I, I don't think most people in schools have a really solid idea on what evidence-based practice or evidence-based interventions are. And, and, and I don't think that's because people are bad or they, they haven't tried. You know, we, did, we didn't train anybody to do this. We don't train teachers to do evidence-based practice. We don't train most school psych problems or, or school psych programs don't really embrace evidence-based practice. Um, and so the point of this site or, or the interventions here is these are intervention strategies that are to be used with kids who have actual special need. And what that means is that, that you're never really going to know if an intervention is going to be effective with these kids until you try it out and see if it actually works. So unlike something like PALS that is, you know, if you give it to 50 kids, it's going to work for 40 of them. And it's kind of a percent game. You know, the goal isn't to find the perfect intervention for one kid. It's to try to help as many kids as possible. When you get to actual special ed kids, you kind of have to find something that works for them. You can't keep playing that percent game. And so what we, what we 
pitch on this site is that we want you to try the interventions. We want you to, to, to find ones that you think are effective and, and are going to work. Um, but essentially, you, you don't really know if it's an evidence-based intervention for a particular kid until you actually have data showing that it's effective for the kid. And what that means is, is, is that in, instead of spending a lot of time trying to find the perfect intervention and, and, and you know, designing it and having meetings and talking about it, what we really push is making very quick decisions to select interventions, trying the thing out. If it works, great. If it doesn't, quickly shift to the next intervention, um, which is a nice model. It's a nice approach, but it requires a lot of interventions. you got to be able to, to try a lot of different things out. And um, at least in my experiences, there aren't that many sites. There, there, there just aren't that many interventions out there um, for teachers to use. Um, you know, most schools give teachers kind of two or three strategies. You know, they might use check-in, check-out, you know, or two or three other things. And then once you're done with that, the teachers don't really know what to do, and, and the site is trying to address that. So, so that's the that's the and kind of a lot of stuff, and it might be good to do questions now. I think that's a really good point, too, about the, sorry, about, um, you know, the intervention having to, to work to be a kind of evidence-based. Um, I've been in schools where a lot of times, you know, they define intervention as, you know, this packaged program that we have paid for, and it says on the box, right. this is evidence-based. And so that's their, yeah. their, that's kind of this narrow mindset that, you know, I can only use this evidence-based intervention because this testing company has told me that it's evidence-based, and they don't look into, you know, what that evidence is, and they don't consider things outside of, you know, that program that they've paid for. They don't consider these strategies because it, it can't be evidence-based unless we're buying it from a company. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, a, a couple of thoughts on that. N number one is, is I, I, I would... You know, one of the roles school psychologists have always held in schools is, is we're supposed to be, um, I, I, I used to, I, I was on faculty at Temple when, or when Hyman was there, and he used to use the term resident intellectual, uh, which was a phrase which I, I don't think, I, I didn't love, um, but I did like the idea of resident scientists, that, that school psychologists are essentially the only people who are trained in educational science in schools. And as such, you know, for a long time, school psychologists have been the ones to say, look, you know, you, you can't just use any IQ test to label a kid MR. You can't just use any, you know, you, you actually have to look at the actual standards that the tests have out there. Um, I think, unfortunately, school psychologists have not been as active and as aggressive in helping define to schools whatever based intervention is. Um, and so, for example, if a testing company tells you that their tool is evidence-based, they're most often lying to you. I mean, there, there's very little actual commercial-driven testing of evidence-based interventions. Um, I work uh, very closely with the National Center for Intensive Interventions, and if anybody who's listening wants to go to that site, it's, it's well, I don't know what the site is, but if you type in National Center for Intensive Interventions into your browser, you'll, you'll, you'll get it. And, and what that site does is it provides one of the, the first clearinghouses of evidence-based interventions and evidence-based assessment strategies um, that used to be the National Center for Response Interventions. We transitioned to the Center for Intensive Interventions in the last, uh, in the last cycle. Um, if it's there, it's not on what we're... Um, essentially, nothing has been publicly vetted. Um, and, and again, you know, publishing companies are there to sell stuff. They're, they're not there for the greater, greater good. So... Um, <laughs> 
Uh, so, so A, I would really stress that I think it's important for school psychologists to be at the table and help define to administrators and teachers and curriculum teams what evidence-based interventions are. Um, but second of all, evidence-based, this, is, this, is this ends up into a really long conversation, um, but um, there are two very different types of evidence-based interventions when you're looking at Tier 1 or Tier 2 and then Tier 3. So if we're talking about whole school strategies or class-wide or small group strategies, you're really looking at standard protocol practices like PALS, um, which is, you know, which is incredible, or, or PBIS for whole school. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a very strong um, evidence-based approach for large groups. Um, but pragmatically, those are validated with an understanding that they're not going to work for a large group of kids, right? I mean, if, if, if PALS is effective for 85% of kids, that makes it, it makes it psychotically effective. I mean, if you think of stimulants as, as an evidence-based medication, which they certainly are, they still don't work for 35 or 40% of kids, and nobody mm -hmm. knows why. But, that, but they're still an really strong evidence-based intervention for 60% of kids. So, so at, at, at Tier 1 or Tier 2, you're, you're really trying to play a stats game where you're just trying to get as many hits as possible, mm. and you don't really worry about the kids that fall through the cracks because we've got Tier 3 to catch those kids. When you shift into Tier 3, the evidence base stops being it works on 80% of kids because your Tier 3 kids are probably those 20% 20, 20 of kids the stuff didn't work on. Right. And you have to shift into, we're going to have to design specific intervention protocols for these individual kids, which, was, I mean, that was the concept of the IEP. That was, I mean, this, this, is, this, this has been around for, for 40 years, right? Um, unfortunately, so much of the evidence-based intervention movement has moved into this prevention-oriented, standard protocol-oriented, tier one-oriented, Mm. I used to be a school psychologist in the middle school, and we used to always joke that it used to always be early education. They were going to fix all the problems when the kids were young, and then by middle school, the kids weren't going to have any problems. Now it's prevention-oriented. So we're going to prevent all the problems, and no kids are going to have any problems, and get our, our rates stay the same, and we have the same problems and all that stuff. So, so I really think it's, it's difficult in schools because you're shifting off of a model of where you're trying to find these packages onto a model of where you're really trying to design an individual intervention for kid, you know, a target mm -hmm. kid. And that's what the EBI network is built to do. I think that's great. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm right there, you know, in, in terms of uh, getting the same sort of feedback from teachers. You know, we have um, what's working? You know, teachers want us to come in as the. I love the, the resident scientist um, comment uh, terminology because um, we are looked to uh, to jump in with you know uh, practices that are supportive, practices that are uh, evidence based or research based. But we're sort of trying to find that out, I think, um, by ourselves. So this is I'm finding this very beneficial. Um, finding these resources online, your websites. And, um, and really not having to do all the, uh, reinvent the wheel, all the groundwork ourselves. Yeah, it's, you know, so one of the things I think we did a lot better in the 90s than we do now is, is we were much more, I, I think our problem-solving teams 
were more effective at designing interventions for kids with actual intense needs. Mm. And, and some in the RTI PBIS movement, we shifted into these whole school models where we were trying to find one or two strategies that worked for as many kids as possible. And we kind of, I, I think we lost some of that talent for trying to figure out what really makes an individual kid tick. Um, to do that, though, you, you're going to have to, you're going to have to have a, 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 you know, a teacher who's engaged, mm -hmm. and that means we have to find an intervention that makes him or her happy, which means if they don't want to do check-in, check-out, or if they don't want to do non-contingent reinforcement, we better have five or six other options for them. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and we have to allow them to customize and change the interventions so that they're excited to do them. And, and to do that, that means we really have to understand the intervention so that they're not changing things which destroys the intervention, rather they're changing things which were, which were components that can be manipulated. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that we, uh, we put um, on these briefs is with, with those critical component pieces, we're trying to highlight to teachers what can you change and what can't you change, right? So if, if you take something like repeated readings, which is a strong evidence-based intervention, you can't change that you have to have repeated readings, right? Um, and you can't change that, that the reading needs to be at the kid's current instructional level. But pragmatically, a teacher can change everything else. I mean, they, they, can, they can mess with whatever they want. So what we, what we need is, is really well-understood evidence-based interventions that can be manipulated and changed and tried out. And essentially, you, you end up with kind of a, a unique intervention just for this kid and just for this teacher, just for this classroom, mm -hmm. and then you see if it works. And if it does, awesome. If it doesn't, then punt and, and, and shift to another one um, rather than acting like we need to kind of keep trying the same intervention over and over and over. That's good. I like your comment about um, the function, understanding the function of the intervention. So if we pick another intervention that has an appropriate function or a similar function uh, but provides a little more buy-in from the participants, then we're still going to achieve, hopefully, achieve the same result. Yeah, this, so, so, so I, I do come at this from a behavioral background. I was trained as a behavioral psychologist, and so I, I would argue that academic and social behavior problems are all behavior problems. Mm -hmm. um, reading is a skill, social behavior is a skill, you know, but regardless, in schools, obviously, we treat academic different than, than social behavior. Um, teachers see it different, parents see it different, and, and so pragmatically, it ends up being different. Um, what we do on this site is we argue that that all behavior has core central function, and all mm -hmm. interventions are designed to address either one or multiple of those functions, right? And so yeah. if you get this kid, and, you know, a kid that's willing to throw a desk to get out of a room because he doesn't want to do something, then then you're going to have to address that function. If you do not address that function, there's there's just not um, there, there there's nothing you can do. I mean, there's no way around it. And so, right. one of the things that we really try to push on the site is that you know what I think the school psychologist or or this you know a well-trained special ed teacher or something can bring to the equation is an understanding that all human behavior has a consistent set of reasons why it exists. And then interventions are linked to those reasons. Um, now, we don't teach, and, and, and we don't know, I mean, we don't spend as much time with the kids, and we don't really know what makes the kid tick in a day-to-day in, 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 you know, -day manner. 
So, so the teacher can bring a tremendous amount of knowledge and understanding of how to then customize that function and that intervention package for an individual kid. And I think you know the marriage of those two things together. I think could be a really powerful uh, thing. Uh, but it you know it, it assumes that we have that information to give them. Oh, that's well said. Definitely. We had one comment, viewer comment, that I just wanted to share. Um, someone out there, school psychologist, friend of ours, really appreciates the special education perspective on finding what works for the individual student. Um, and she says, what a great pool of knowledge and resources that she's nerding out along with us. <laughs> um, that, that reminds me of a question that I had. In both of, on both of these websites, are you mostly thinking that school psychologists will use them as a, as a resource, or are you, are you also um, kind of directing your messages to teachers themselves? Who, who is your main audience on, on both of the websites? Well, okay, so um, okay, I don't want this to sound the wrong way, but our model of will train school psychologists and then they'll train teachers has clearly failed. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, it's, 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 it's illogical to, uh, you know, it's, it's just not logical to act like school psychologists have some unique knowledge that teachers can understand in terms of evidence-based practice. Um, now, I, I don't want teacher diagnosis at the moment. I, I think there are things that school psychologists really need to uniquely own. Um, but it, it's pretty clear in 2016, we don't own RTI, right? I mean, school psychologists really are barely even players, you know. I mean, th there are a few very important school psych psychologists involved in RTI policy, but if you go to the National Center for Intensive Interventions or if you go to the National Center for Positive Behavior Sports Interventions, they're not fine school psychologists. I mean, we're, we're really not a part of, of, that, of that national policy rule. Um, you guys work in districts, you know, as well as I do. We're very rarely a major part of the trick-wipe initiatives. And so um, mm -hmm. I, I think the model of, of, of talking to school psychologists is, is not the correct approach. Um, I, you know, for a period of time, I, I argued that I was special ed teachers than in school psychologists. Um, but honestly, at this point, I'm just interested in regular ed teachers. Um, that's where the kids go. Um, you know, children. Almost everybody ends up in type environment, surrounded by. And so, I mean, you know, we're breaking up again. Yes, I lost you for a second, but I think you're back. Are we back again, or breaking up again? Back again. Hello? Can you hear me? Uh, I lost your video, but I think I can still hear you. I don't hear him. <laughs> oh, yeah, now. All but right. Well, um, and I totally, I, I definitely want to get him back because I want him to show us the uh, DVR website yeah. and kind of demo that. Yeah. That's really super interesting. Yeah. Um, hopefully he'll pop back in. Yeah. <laughs> Really good information. Yes. 
Really interesting. And I, I posted that video that I was talking about, the behavioral intervention, and I posted yes. the links in comments on School Psyched Podcast page and on Twitter. Uh, I know some of you are out there retweeting and liking the comments, so thank you for that. Um, I'm looking forward to checking them out with more attention myself. Yeah. As he was going through the website, I was, like, getting so excited. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's <laughs> And I've already looked at it, too. <laughs> Hey, not sure why my computer keeps going. That's okay. That's all right. <laughs> but um It's ironic that we did have the same or similar technical difficulties with Jim Wright. So <laughs> maybe good company. Yeah. <laughs> um well, we're kind of running out of time, but uh, before, I definitely want, if you're able to, to um, kind of do a screen share with the DBR to maybe walk us through that real quick, um, just because sure. I think that's super interesting and um, really useful. Yeah. It's a really functional tool for us to all know about. Absolutely. Oh, no. Did we lose him? <laughs> He'll be back. I think it'll just take a minute. Okay. <laughs> Thanks everybody for right. hanging in. Right. This is a good opportunity for all of the school psychologists to channel their patients. That's right. <laughs> we are emotionally regulating and we can yeah. yeah. Let's talk about our problems. <laughs> we appreciate everybody. Tonight with summer vacation, um, I know that a lot of you are probably hanging out, not yeah. wanting to think about school. <laughs> I think you're back, Chris. I think you're back, Chris. I know. I, th I think the screen share is a bad idea. I think okay. that. Okay. Okay. That 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 was. On the DBR website, what people really should go to is information. There's a there's a tab information for uh, uh, for professionals and parents and stuff like that, and and there there are handouts on that that'll really explain how you use it and how how to use the, the particular tool. We also have a book um, uh, that Amy Breach wrote that that outlines it um, thoroughly um, out of Gilbert Press, which just came out. Um, a bit of time ago. So. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's great. Mm -hmm. Okay, we just had a comment also that I'll share very quickly. Um, a, a viewer says, I found that policymakers can be troubled by, da by data. Science, quotes, means exposing your ideas to the fact that they might not be true. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think, so by by policymakers, I assume we're we're talking about kind of big regular ed. Um, what I would say is that I think for a long time, regular ed education had a um, had a vein in it that was was not comfortable with um, a traditional scientific method. And so you get mm. in, in colleges of ed, you get a lot of debate between you know can we qualitatively or quantitatively capture and. and you know, when we talk data, what type of data are we talking about? I, I will say I found that that the new wave of teacher ed faculty, which end up being the ones who train new teachers, 
are much, much more similar to school psychologists than they are to people who, who used to populate those same faculty positions. And so, you know, what we found is, is at, at, at the University of Missouri, we found a lot of resistance to having, like, like really simple things like having us teach, teach teachers how to do classroom management. Mm. And we're not seeing that as much anymore. We're, we're finding that the, 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 the new wave of teacher ed people are much, much more interested in data, much more interested in graphing. We actually had a joke. This was, this was myself and Tim Lewis, who's a, a big guy in the PBIS circles. We're meeting with our teacher ed people, and one of our teacher ed people said, you know, the problem with teachers is they just don't, they're not comfortable with graph data. And Tim and I looked at each other and we're like, you know, you're like, yeah, we've been talking about this for 20 years. But, you know, um, but it was interesting that it, it, that was something that it just kind of occurred in, 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 in you know. So I, I don't know. I, I tend to think that, that a lot of kind of the constructivist history that, that really holds down a, a lot of teacher ed, I think, is, is, is being washed away. And we're starting to see a more evidence-based practice approach. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it's, it's always going to look a little bit different than special ed. It's always going to be a little bit different than, than, than school psych, and we're going to have to understand that. But honestly, until we start impacting regular ed, I don't think there's much chance that any of either our school-wide models will work, or I don't think any of the kids who are being serviced in regular ed, which, again, it's almost all of them, mm -hmm. I don't think they're ever going to be serviced effectively. So if, if we can't train teachers, um, and, and going back to Jim Wright, I mean, Jim Wright, to, I mean, to me, one of the greatest things Jim Wright ever did was his S15 in Syracuse, where he had just an incredible model of, of getting teachers on board to use data. Um, and I, I, I felt really lucky to be a part of those teams and see those work. And um, you know, he was incredibly effective at, you know, at, at, at making that happen. So, I mean, I know it can happen. It's just it's, it's an uphill battle. Hmm. A question on that. At the time, was he uh, working as a school psychologist or, or an administrator? Because I, I know he made that jump. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, so when I was in grad school, he was, I think, the lead psychologist at Syracuse City Schools. Okay. And so he was not my direct supervisor, but he ran the um, he ran the, uh, the the internship program. We had, I don't know, we had a lot of interns. We had five or six interns um, there. Um, and so, but but. You know, we were running him and Seth Aldrich and, and, and uh, Jim McDougall, that kind of that group of people out there. We were running all of their stuff out of the Syracuse City Schools, and it was it was it was it was a good time. It was a pretty good time. Awesome. Yeah, hopefully it inspires some school psychologists out there. There's so much that could can be done, could be done, but but sometimes we need that either administrative support or a little bit of that administrative role in our buildings. Mm -hmm. Well, to, be, to, to, I mean, to be fair, I, I don't. I mean, I I think up until this point we haven't had a lot of tools, mm -hmm. and so so I mean, going back to the EBI network or DBR or and there's a lot of other cool tools out there, not just the ones that we had come up with. You know, if if a teacher came and asked you for five good behavioral strategies for an attention-seeking kid, I think you'd probably have a hard time giving them to them. I mean, I the, the, we just don't have list of interventions. We don't mm -hmm. have a lot of assessment methods. I mean, we kind of. Everything goes back to CBM or check-in, check-out or PALS or, you know, five or six strategies that we use for everything. Or we try to make something new every time we come across a problem. 
Um, and so I, I think school psych and special ed has to, we, you know, when, when regular ed is re ready to listen, we better be able to provide them quick, efficient, and effective methods. Or why would they listen to us? I mean, if, you know, you know. So I, I think school psych and special ed has gotten to a place in the past um, four, five, six years with, with PBIS and the National Center for Intensive Interventions, um, and to some extent what works, uh, and where we finally have some actual tools we can use. And again, I would really, anybody who's interested in this stuff, I would, the, the National Center for Intensive Interventions is particularly useful as a clearinghouse for tools. Mm. Uh, there's a lot of great stuff on that site. I don't want to say it's just that. Um, but if you want to look at what, pro, you know, progress monitoring tools have been validated on the academic and the social behavior side, interventions that have been validated, um, that, that center does that and provides a ton of useful resources um, which have been federally validated or federally vetted. Mm -hmm. Very cool. All right, we're kind of running low on time, so I want to ask anybody watching who has any kind of final comments or questions, um, feel sure to, to get typing right now um, as we kind of wrap up. But, um, yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah. I'm hoping that, um, you know, people are going to go and check out the websites and kind of spread the word to those general education teachers and the special education and just um, kind of get more people aware um, that that's, you know, such a great resource. Um, I also want to, before we check for final comments, just mention that we're going to be going school, uh, psych podcast, we're going to be going on summer hiatus. We're taking a little bit of a break, um, get some pool time in, <laughs> that type of thing. But we are um, talking with people for next, for in the fall, and we've got some really um, interesting topics lined up. But definitely um, send us messages. We really appreciate everyone who says, hey, you should cover this topic, or hey, um, you know, let's talk to this person type of thing. We really appreciate those, um, those messages. But we are are looking to talk in the fall about FBAs with some really informative people. We're looking to um, be talking with a school uh, with a neuropsychologist um, in that collaboration between school psychology and um, neuropsychology. Um, and we're also looking for um, we've got somebody who's going to maybe give us a perspective on. Uh, both sides of the table from a school psychologist who's also you know, a parent and has been um, you know on the IEP meetings from from both ends. We've also um, been emailing. I'm super excited with um, Dr. Dr. who you know popped in on our NASP episode mm -hmm. one time. So we we're like, oh yeah, he'd be awesome, and he, um, we're looking to schedule him to come on. So really excited, but uh, for sure, give us um, more suggestions on on what you want to talk about. So um, we can yeah. have some discussions. If you have questions and comments on this podcast, feel free to continue to post um, on on either of the pages. If I can get them to Chris, I will. Thank you, Chris, so much for your time. Yes, tonight. thank you. Wonderful. We can't wait to look through uh, all of this, all of these resources, even in greater depth. So so helpful and so inspirational. Thank uh, and you. We have one, thank you, and we have one last comment I want to squeeze in just now. Um, our first time viewer says that he was friends with Erwin and um, many were sad when he left Temple. I guess it was a good choice for my first full-length podcast. The concept of the podcast and the clearinghouse is super. Thank you so much out there for the kind comments. And if you haven't joined us before or if you haven't caught up with some of the podcasts, check us out on YouTube. They're all there. Um, and uh, or on the School Psych Podcast page. You can find them. You can catch up. 
and we can continue these conversations over time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, iTunes too now, right? Yeah. And iTunes, that's right. All right. Thank you. Right, Thank you very much. Have a great summer.